that I did was educate myself and I started surrounding myself with awesome people whose track record I could leverage. Because at the end of the day, if, if we're very young, we can't change that. Or if, even if we're just new, you can't really change that. But if you can just surround yourself with people who are doing whatever it is you want to do and you're able to bring enough value to partner with them, then anyone you're speaking with I will take you more seriously. Listen, too many of us spend most of our waking hours working hard for our money and have little time left to figure out how to make our money work hard for us. We default to handing our savings off to advisors who make their livings off our assets while we wait until 65 to enjoy any of the benefits. The problem is we need a quick way to gain the knowledge to take back the reins on managing our money while avoiding the misleading media or just straight bad advice. My goal is to give you all my knowledge, full-time research, and connections in a distilled version so we all can make our money work harder for us. This show focuses on ways you can take back control and intelligently invest outside the stock market to benefit your life today as well as in retirement. I'm Brian O'Neill, and welcome to the Harder Working Money Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Harder Working Money Podcast. We got a cool guest today. It's Jeffrey Donis with Donis Investment Group. These are some young brothers that are going at it in the real estate world. Thanks for having me, Brian. I really appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to it. No problem. So I've only, you know, come in contact with you and learned about you guys recently and I was I was surprised and a little humbled, I would say, because I you know, I'm in my forties and thought I'm doing pretty well. And I see these guys, they're in their twenties that are farther along than I am. Um, and the biggest question is how, so you're just a little backstory between you and yourself and your brothers. Like how do you end up in your twenties in the real estate world and not just like single family? Like how do you even get started? How do you get enough money to like go at that? Yeah. So, uh, again, thank you for having me. Initially we got into real estate about three years ago. It's been a little over three years at this point. And I was a college freshman at the time when I first learned about it. Obviously, growing up, I knew there was something called real estate. I thought it was just agents and people that sold houses. I had no idea you could invest in it. So my older brother was the one that learned about wholesaling first. And I won't go too into the details, but if you'd like me to, I can. So after, feel free to cut me off or whatever. But initially, it was wholesaling. Uh, we learned about that through YouTube. And then we started taking action on the, the education that we were getting. Slowly, we started cold calling, pulling lists of data. Eventually, we closed on our first deal, uh, and that slowly led us to just reading more books, trying to continue our education, learning how to improve our business, and eventually we stumbled upon apartment syndication. And once we knew what that was and it really piqued our interest, uh, we realized that we didn't need to buy these apartment deals by ourselves. Obviously, we couldn't. Uh, we would need to use other people's money to do that, and it was cool that a thing called apartment syndication already existed. There were a lot of people already doing it. Uh, so that was really what pulled us in was we knowing that we not only were people that didn't have enough money to buy it by ourselves, but didn't have the experience to do it by ourselves either. Uh, we could partner with other people, and that's the cool thing about apartment syndication. So we joined a mastermind group called Think Multifamily, actually, about three years ago now. And that, that was really what opened the floodgates to the deals, the network, the education, etc. And at this point, we've been able to do a few deals in the multifamily space as well as we're still doing a little bit in the single family space, but that's like a high level about our journey. And I'm happy to break it up if you'd like. No, that's awesome. Yeah. So you've, that's, that's, that's a cool path to take and one that just takes some, some grit and just go, going after it. Like I know, so I just started my first company was when I was 25 and I looked young even for 25. And 
something I ran into a lot was either feeling like I'm too young for this or I look too young. I'm a, I, I remember growing a beard just so I looked older and it, it didn't, you know, everyone still knew. How did you get over the I'm too young or this is something only, you know, old people do? Because even myself up to like 10 years ago, I was like real estate is like something you do when you're once you make once you are successful, then you do real estate. Right. Did you ever run into those those mental feelings or blocks or just have anyone even ask you, like, how old are you? Yeah, all the time. So I, I what I focus on is the investor relations and capital raising aspect of our business. And obviously I went in person, like over the phone, which is a lot of the things that I do are over the phone. A lot of people can tell I sound young and they'll literally, they'll literally all the time say, you sound like a pretty young guy. And I get that all the time, but it's really just based on the, my voice and how I've overcome that has been first and foremost, educating myself. So uh, obviously I think everyone in this space, if you're on this podcast, that's what you're doing right now. Uh, and that may not be something you need to work on, but I like to think of it as something that you should be doing life uh, throughout your whole life and not just after, you know, stop after college or things like that. So to go back a little bit, I left school after my freshman year, and that was the main reason was because I wanted to pursue real estate full-time and be an entrepreneur. I saw myself as not being someone that was right for school, and I think school is good for a lot of people. It just wasn't the right decision for me and my brothers. So once we left, we knew that was going to be you know, a risk uh, and things like that, but we took our entrepreneurship journey very seriously, and the way that we approached it was by listening to podcasts, YouTube videos, and then as soon as we closed on our first deal, uh, while taking action, I think I'll go into like how action can be really the best way to to learn how to do things. But once we made a little bit of money, we didn't just invest that into we didn't just spend that money loosely. We we spent it and invested it into mastermind groups and different courses. The first one was a single family course on how to buy properties through owner financing. Uh, later, we invested in a mastermind group for multifamily that taught us how to syndicate deals as well as gave us access to a network of other lead sponsors, capital raisers, people that could help with different things like signing on loans and earnest money, all of the above. So as we were just slowly and steadily doing all of those things, when I talk to people, yes, I look young and I sound young, but I can at least carry the conversation at first, ask really good questions, and eventually, once you you know take a lot of massive action, to go back to my point, while you're taking all these, you know, make, making these mistakes, failing forward, Eventually, if you just don't stop and, and you really are very intentional with how you're spending your time, we found ourselves into we found a way to get into our first deal that came out of one of these mastermind groups. And once you do your first deal, I think in anything, but for us, it was for multifamily. Now we syndicated a, an apartment complex. It was over a hundred units. That was a little over a thousand. Sorry, a little over two years ago. Now, once we did that, it gave me a real confidence boost, and I learned so much from actually doing the first deal. So once I had done that and closed on it, now when I go back to all the same people I'd already been talking to or I started talking to new investors or new partners, I not only had this new self sense of uh, understanding as to what I was actually talking about because I was actually doing it now. Um, the imposter syndrome, I don't think it ever goes away, but you know, slowly you start to feel less and less like an imposter. Uh, I think it's good to feel like an imposter because that means you're pushing yourself and you're getting into things that are uncomfortable. But overall... Those are like, I know that I kind of jumped around, but I'd say the main thing that I did was educate myself and I started surrounding myself with awesome people whose track record I could leverage. Because at the end of the day, if, if we're very young, we can't change that. Or if, even if we're just new, you can't really change that. But if you can just surround yourself with people who are doing whatever it is you want to do and you're able to bring enough value to partner with them, 
then anyone you're speaking with uh, will take you more seriously if they see you partnered up with other people. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so true. And I feel like it's almost the best time when you're in your 20s to take a lot of action. And I don't want to say take risk, but it's taking mm -hmm. action where you have to pivot or move because you don't have a house probably and family and all this sort of weight on you where taking action yeah. where it may not work or I may maybe have to quickly adjust or commit time or do something. It's so much harder as you, you know, add layers to your life. I think people miss that in your 20s is actually the best time to be going out and doing that sort of thing. And I had the same, same experience with my company when I first started, it. super imposter syndrome. So I was going after little deals and trying not to poke my head out too much. And it ended up just by heck with this. After I think a few years, I started going after the the big the big projects and the big jobs, the ones I wasn't supposed to be, you know, ready for. Yeah. And I finally landed one. And after that, it was like, okay, I have this big little tick I can now, you know, show that I know how to do this. I have confidence in doing it. So like, it put some weight behind my own my own confidence, I guess you would say, to yeah. uh, not take the. If someone asked me like, hey, how old? They'd always assume I was like the technician or like the lower level employee. And my boss was my sales guy. I had a sales guy that they had always talked to him. We, we, we'd go to, to, to meetings with clients and they would always talk to him and they would never even look at me. And then halfway through the meetings, they usually realize like, oh, the, the older guy keeps referring to this guy. He's, he actually is the, the owner. I want to then I want to introduce myself as like the owner. I was just, this is Brian. This is my, you know, yeah. this is... And it was, it was really funny to uh, see that dynamic change, but just to just stick with it and be confident. And then immediately yeah. you actually got more respect. It was like, oh, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. He has older people working for him. Um, mm. You know, they're landing big deals. And it was, it was kind of yeah. neat. So I, I totally can relate to that. So you guys are raising money. You have over a thousand units now. Who is your target investor when raising money? Like, is it different yeah, for you guys? Is it the same as like, what's your, what's your target? Yeah, so I, I think uh, this is... Can, I can take this as a branding question, which I hope you don't mind if I do. Yeah. Uh, through our content, we naturally attract younger and a younger audience, and obviously a lot of these younger uh, people who are interested in investing may not have the financial means at this point to invest in our our deals because our deals typically, you know, an average person in America probably can't afford to invest on on most of them. Um, so, a lot of young people that are in school or just freshly out of college which is around where our, our age, uh, our demographic naturally attracts with our co content. A lot of those people don't have the financial means to invest. So we still like to, uh, to make the content towards them. And naturally, we've attracted investors that are working professionals, maybe have been in their W-2s for 10 to 15 years uh, and are still looking to invest, but they're really new at investing or just people that have never invested in multifamily in particular but have built their own portfolio through single family, fix and flips, things like that. Um, in regards to our niche, I would say, as I mentioned, it's a younger audience, but it's interesting that once you focus on a certain type of avatar, uh, you just naturally attract other people that can relate in, in a certain type of way that you never imagined if you didn't actually niche down. So I think it's because we'll try to attract that, that younger person that may be really new to investing, uh, and by keeping it very simple and relatable, you actually are able to attract a large, larger audience and people that you may have never thought you could attract. Yeah, because like if I was an investor and I was kind of hesitant and I see this, you know, 65 year old guy that's got 20,000 units and all stuff, it's like, I don't want to talk to him. He seems scary. Like he seems unapproachable. Um, right. And I can't, I can't relate to him. I can relate to someone that, you know, is, is running their business in their 20s and sort of, you know, is in, 
intelligent on their ball with what's going on and, and it's working with people that you know have also been doing it for a while so to pivot sort of into working with family um, i found that interesting about you guys i um, currently don't work with family but i have a brother who's in the real estate world that maybe mm -hmm. someday we will end up working together that's a whole nother dynamic i think about my brother like you know we get along great now we used to fight when we were younger you can't just like separate your partnership with a brother as easily yeah so like, how did you guys decide to go into working together and like mm -hmm. do you divide and conquer do you have similar personalities different personalities like how does it how does that dynamic work that's so much different than a, a partner you just find and can so initially the reason we got into real estate was because we, we all obviously come from the same background we grew up with a single mother a low income and we all had the same goal and it's still our main personal goals at, at this point is to retire her so that was the really the fire that we all had that we all shared so that's that's why we got into business together because we all wanted to do that and we thought real estate was a great way to achieve that and obviously financial freedom for ourselves and that goal has grown and we have different goals now too but in regards to my brothers and I we each have our own strengths and personalities for sure so I I, I I'm not a big numbers guy. Like I, I love looking at numbers, but I don't really like staring behind a spreadsheet. And that's what my older brother initially just, he was the one that volunteered to do it. So he got good at it over time and now he he loves it. Uh, for me, I just talk to people all day. So I'm, I'm investor relations and raising money. Uh, and in the meantime, in between deals, I think you're always raising money. So I'm just reaching out to new contacts, building new relationships, getting on podcasts like this. And then my twin brother, he's very creative. Uh, he is like uh, he wants to be an author, so he's writing books on the side. But that that skill is very transferable, I think, to any business, and in particular marketing. So he's writing our blogs, uh, doing our YouTube videos, editing those, and screenwriting them. So he'll tell us what to say on the videos, and <laughs> we'll just stay in front of the camera and say it. And then the social media content as well on other platforms he's in charge of. So he does a great job with that as well as our podcast. But I really enjoy working with them. I think the main benefit to it is. I'm fortunate that we all are very like-minded, I think in the right ways, uh, first and foremost, work ethic. We all approach our, our business with you know, one of the top priorities in our life. We're all faithful. So uh, that's something that I, I, mean, I would love to, I think I'm very, very fortunate to have brothers that are both like, in that same category, work ethic and faithful. And then on top of it, um, when you fight with my, when I fight with my brothers, even if it's in the business or outside the business, because we do live together, so when we fight, we don't really hold grudges, and I can say what I want regardless of what it is, and they won't take it personally because they know I love them regardless. I don't know if that would be the same case if it was with another business partner. Um, so I think sometimes people just don't say what they're really thinking uh, to their business partners because they're afraid that it will lead to a fight or maybe they'll take it personally, things like that that I don't, I don't have to worry about. So I think it's really good to not have to worry about that in a business atmosphere. Yeah, it's true. Cause, yeah, that actually is true because, you know, Okay, I had to jump in here real quick. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. To get all our content and stay up to date, make sure you follow us on social media under Brian underscore O'Neill underscore investor on Facebook and Instagram. And also remember to follow this podcast if you're listening to an audio. And if you're on YouTube watching the video, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Okay, back to the interview. You're my brother, you're stuck with me. So, yeah. <laughs> and there's, yeah, I'm. I'm never gonna just you know bounce them out of here. I'm not gonna talk to you again. Like this is over. <laughs> exactly. So that does change yeah. the d dynamic. You always have some level of uh, 
it's a different dynamic when it's someone that you didn't know yeah. partner with you couldn't end up not knowing them again that's not the case for your for your brothers that's interesting do you guys have all the same like risk profile is there one brother that's more like yes on risk that one's like ooh, hold on yeah i would say so I, there's three of us right me my twin my older brother my older brother is 100 the more visionary risk taker uh, like all gas no brakes <laughs> my twin brother i would say him and me are both more of a brakes we're more of the brakes but i think i'm right in the middle if i had to be honest but uh, i definitely like to put the brakes on it too think about it and then i'm willing to take the action my twin brother i'd say is a little bit more risk averse in a way just how he is i don't know why but i think it's a really good balance because my older brother if it was just him obviously we would you know he would just drive himself into a wall but <laughs> without him we wouldn't move right his it was his uh, idea to jump into real estate at first uh, we actually i know uh, we were talking i think one of the questions was how we were able to afford to get into real estate at first we had no money being broke college kids so my older brother was the only one that could qualify for a credit card and that's how we were able to wow. afford to to pull lists of data to afford a, a mojo dialer which is an automatic dialer to cold call all of these different subscriptions that we used at first to to get our first wholesale deals and that ended up being about seven thousand dollars in credit card debt it's not a smart thing i don't recommend it but you can see my brother it was his idea and he was willing to put that on his credit so it was a risk that none of us took but him but we got kind of all went in hand in hand um, taking action he literally said worst case you guys just you keep your credit good and mine will go bad <laughs> yeah. that, that was the mindset he had and, um, so it definitely helps to have someone like that that's awesome so you guys have your own little incubator almost all three in the same age you're living together and you're just cranking out content and capital raising that that's super mm -hmm. cool it's like having i wish i had three yeah. of myself back in my 20s to be able to do something like that so like i call it like a constant mastermind yeah yeah exactly so total side side question, like just social life question, like most people in their 20s are not focusing on assets and passive income and stuff. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to find a, a nine to five job and things like that. Is that weird with friends? Like, I imagine you yeah. guys work a lot, but also have this flexibility and you're flying to different states, looking at properties and doing things like is that just a total disconnect with other you know, friends your age or do you find that your friends group have changed? I know it has nothing to do with real estate. I'm just curious. No, no, I think this is a really important question too to anything in business. But so initially I left school my freshman year and fortunately I had a, one of my best friends that I grew up with was one of my, he was right next door to me in my dorm. So when I started wholesaling, I was cold calling in my dorm room uh, and <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't be able to do it in my dorm room because, well, one, I, my roommate was not the, always the best person to be around. I was doing that because it wasn't as fun. I was getting rejected and I, I thought maybe being in my friend's room, it'd be better and we would take turns cold calling. And then his roommate was sometimes in there. And I was like, man, if you guys get a deal, I'll give you 10%. And I hadn't even done a deal yet. So I was already like working my negotiations. So they, we all got the bug at that point. And it wasn't real until COVID-19 hit. I hadn't closed my first deal. This was about three months after I started cold calling. Once my all my brothers, my two brothers and I were back home because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we weren't allowed to be in our dorm rooms anymore. We were all back at home, and then instead of calling for two hours a day each, we eventually started taking a little bit more risk, going from 9 to 8 p.m. cold calling. And this was every day of the week. So as you can see, more calls, it's a numbers game. Eventually, we did get our first deal, and it was a, the, the biggest deal 
that I ever did in that, that, that whole year in regards to the assignment few you made. And I sent the picture to my friends, not to brag, but to show them I'm dropping out. I said, I'm dropping out. <laughs> That's what I told them. Uh, and they were all already interested in real estate and becoming an entrepreneur and, and trying to build some type of financial stability because we all were broke. So that really inspired them. And they all slowly started dropping out after we did. Yeah. And I, now I'm fortunate because I have this entrepreneur group that consists of maybe eight, eight young entrepreneurs within the ages of 21 and 24, uh, 25. So it's eight of us. Uh, I'm really blessed to have it. And that it doesn't even include my brothers. Um, so it's a pretty big group. But outside of that, you mentioned traveling. I try to go to at least four to five conferences a year. I'm in two mastermind groups currently. We're actually a part of the same one, Raise Masters. And most people in those on, or that are in those groups are a lot older than I am. And I think that's awesome because I have so much to learn in so many aspects of life. Uh, I also go to church. And I have this small community church that I, I, that's local to where I am. And all the all the people in the church are typically, like the adults are a lot older than I am too. So I'm just surrounded by people that I have so much to learn from. And I think by doing that, that is my social life. Now, obviously, I'm not going to act like I'm a robot and I don't do anything else for fun. Like I do have fun things that I like to do, like play soccer. But I think it, I just recently got into my faith more seriously. And as I've done that, it's pulled me away from doing the things that, out of regardless of your age, I don't think we should be doing. So I've been able to surround myself with the people that, I think are, are, are better in the long run in all aspects. And that kind of pulls me away from, I guess, a lot of the younger people that maybe like have those bad habits that take some time to grow out of. Fortunately, the people that I'm hanging out with aren't just aren't doing those things. So it's easier to stay away from them. Got it. That's super, that's super cool and knowledgeable. And <laughs> I can't believe I should, should have done something different in my 20, in my 20s, I think. I started my own company, but yeah, that's a lot of, a lot of time that you can really utilize what was your degree you're going to going for before you uh, you stopped school? Yeah, so I was there for uh, like a year, right? So I was going to you don't typically choose your yeah. degree in right gen eds, but I was going to be a sales or marketing major. I really didn't know the difference at the time. I had no idea what sales was or marketing, <laughs> to be honest, no idea. But then obviously you learn that as an entrepreneur, you have to. Awesome. So yeah, so you basically did your own sales gig. <laughs> You just skipped the four years. That's that's what what you would would have been doing four years later. You've been cold calling, trying to get get sales like that. What's your sort of thought on? It seems to be more and more a topic that comes up on you know college versus going and getting mentoring as far as going into different yeah. careers. And obviously, you can't become a doctor and operate on people. You can't become an engineer and things like that unless you go to actual school for right. college. But for everything else. Do you see that being more of a trend around people you hang out with? I have young kids and only two and four. And we're already thinking like, man, I don't know if college is really worth it depending on what career they want. I'd much rather yeah. send them through a mentoring type system where they can learn those skills. Because honestly, all the stuff you learn in college is kind of useless unless you have a, yeah. a tangible skill you're trying to obtain there that requires you know, a degree in yeah. engineering or medical. Do you have any comments That's on that? True. Just like people that are contemplating yeah, college still? I have a few points. So the first one, I think it depends on the person, right? Obviously, there's no uh, like cookie cutter solution for any type of situation. In this case, a lot of the people I was spending time with in high school, I wouldn't say everyone, but I'd say a, a large portion of them, or just people that I knew, weren't going to school because they liked school, or that they wanted to learn more. It was just because that was what they thought they had to do. And a lot of people go for the social aspect of, of it as well, which I think, in my opinion, just being there a few years ago, there's not a lot of benefits to it. 
Uh, I think it's probably like detrimental to your long-term future for various reasons, but it's not for everyone. So if you are serious about going to college and having your kid go to college because they know what they want to do, they want to be a doctor, lawyer, an attorney, um, dentist, whatever, that we need those types of uh, people and they need to get educated. So I think that's the right path for them to go on. But if your child doesn't really know what they want to do or they already have some interest in something else, uh, I mean, I was just hanging out with my mentor this weekend and he knows, obviously, I dropped out of school. Uh, his kids are coming up on going to college, and my mentor is very successful, um, probably like the most successful person that I've ever met. And he's not sending his kids to college. In fact, he was telling me one of them is working with him now, and the other one is not in college yet. She's, uh, I think she's halfway through high school, but he was offering to pay her not to go <laughs> because she wants to go for the social reasons. And it's just so funny that, like, I felt like when I was taking that leap of faith and I was burning the bridges, if you will, it seemed like no one was dropping out. Like I thought I was the, the black sheep of the society and all this. But now it seems like it's more and more common that people aren't going to school. Maybe it's because I, I'm seeing it now because I, I did it, right? But I think it really just depends on the person. I, I truly think for me, mentorship was the main thing. Like the people that I've been able to meet, the conversations I've been able to have, the skills that I'm still working on, but I, I've done things that... I look back and say, if I a lot of my friends are graduating now, this this summer, and I would have been graduating this summer hopefully, but since I left school, I look back and say, if I were to have gotten that degree and maybe gotten like a six-figure salary going out of of college, luckily most people don't even do that. Yeah. Uh, would I have preferred to be there? And I look at the risks that I've taken, the things that I've failed at, learned, and things that I've, I've achieved, fortunately, and how I've changed as a person and grown. All of that has come from just not being in school, pulling me away from that and putting myself in different uncomfortable situations that school wouldn't have offered. Uh, so I think, I personally think that is the, is the right path for me. And I think there's a lot of people that it is the right path for going a non-traditional route and just finding a different way to educate yourself. Last last point I'll touch on is I think like maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, getting a degree was a lot more uncommon and a lot more valuable. Now everyone's getting a degree. And it's just like you know, the supply and demand. If there's more of something, then it's less and less desirable by companies. So now what they're looking at are different skill sets, uh, experience, and all that you won't really get in, in a classroom. You have to go do it. So uh, I think everyone has the same amount of time on the planet. It just depends on how you spend it. Some people will spend it in a classroom while the other person's getting more experience in education and building their skill sets. Yeah, I think some people go to college just because they're they're scared of not having credibility maybe. So I'll, I go get a degree. I have some level of credibility and then I can go, you know, get a job. And then I think they've then, I think they realize somewhere in college, like, Oh, I'm not actually learning the true skills I need for this job. I'm just sort of getting credibility to get that job, which you've yeah. showed. And many people show that you can do that in many careers without spending the money in the four years to buy the credibility. You can go and earn it much quicker and easier at the same time, you're learning the skills and the knowledge you actually need to succeed in, right. in, that, in that particular career. So I guess let's just wrap it up because we've been talking about a lot of you know, lifestyle yeah. and your guys' uh, you know, relationship with your brothers and how you kind of took a different route. So you've got 1,000 units. You've, got, you've built the syndication company. Like, where do you want to go in five years, 20 years? Are you shooting for the moon? Or is this going to be like, hey, let's, let's hit 30 years old and be able to just cruise and go have an amazing life yeah uh shooting for the moon for sure um i don't think i want to stop anytime soon i mean i, I enjoy what i do i love it and i think that's where god want, wants me right now but 
Can't say that won't change. Uh, in regards to the life by design, though, I, I am very young and I haven't traveled as much as I'd like to. I think that's the benefit of being in real estate at a young age is if you just take a few years, put, keep your head down, work hard, make the right moves, and slowly you'll build more more financial independence. There will be plenty of time to go travel. And not to say you can't travel while you're building either. Fortunately, I, I could. My brother, maybe not because he's acquisitions. <laughs> um, so he kind of has to be here locally. But I can go on a plane and make calls from wherever I am as long as I have signal. So definitely shooting for the moon. Um, that's the goal. And in, in five years, we're looking to do anywhere from four to five deals a, a year. This year has been slower due to what's going on in the economy and in the market. But uh, I think over the next few years, there's going to be a lot of opportunity. So over the next four to five years, we're hoping to do at least um, four to five deals every single year. And then after that, hopefully increase that uh, in 20 years. Would love to be, you know, at a, over a billion asset under management and uh, just continuing to grow and help others as well. For the business side of things, what markets are you guys looking at? Are you down in the Florida area or on the southeast side? And are you on pause right now or are you still, what size deals are you looking at? Like sort of what's your trajectory for this year? I know everyone's changing every few months, but yeah. if things didn't change, what's your current game plan? For sure. So I live in Durham, North Carolina. We look here in North Carolina, South Carolina, and then Georgia. Uh, obviously, those are three states. I like to be in, in primary markets or as close to a primary market or a secondary market, uh, worst case. So that includes Atlanta, uh, Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, uh, those kinds of areas. And then for the, the criteria that we're looking for, it's 100 to 200 units, B-class, 1980s, vintage or newer in those areas. Uh, and right now, we are always looking. Uh, we submitted an LOI yesterday. We submitted one three, I think it was four weeks ago. We lost that one. And this one, I don't think we'll win. We're pretty off on the price. But I think is the main thing we're doing, and we've always been doing it, is taking action. And it's interesting, and I'd like to get your thoughts as well. It seems like I've, I grew up, like over the last three years, not growing up, but I kept hearing from like, well, Warren Buffett, and everyone loves to regurgitate this quote, uh, when, people, when others are greedy, be fearful, and when others are fearful, be greedy. And everyone likes saying that when things are good and things are nice. But now when people are like, everyone's scared, no one's greedy. And it seems like, I'm like, as a young person, maybe I'm naive. But I'm like, this is the time we should be looking, you know? Like that's, if anything, just always be taking action and submitting offers at the right price. If it cash flows, it cash flows, right? Um, obviously be conservative and make the right choices. Like perhaps it'd be a good idea to fix your interest rate, things like that. But outside of that, if it cash flows and it meets your criteria, I don't see why you wouldn't be looking for deals. Yeah, it's funny because I'm in that boat as well. We just look at a property and we decide not to put an LOI on it, which we, we, we could have done one at the number we were thinking, but we're sort of like, it just doesn't feel, this particular property, the location is what yeah. we didn't, didn't like about it. I think there's still a, a mixed news cycle, which is sort of like, is it positive? It's like a mixture of positive and negative. Yeah. It almost seems like yeah. it needs to go more negative for people to really <laughs> know where, because some people are still planning on, oh, this is going to go up. Other people are planning like, oh, this could be the, the, the first tick of a second downturn. And I think yeah. that might be throwing people from taking action as well. I know people are having capital raising concerns because it's hard to raise money. But I mean, you should be able to raise capital. You might need more partners to do it. But right. the properties are out there. I know when we've been, I mean, I'm newer to the game, but people I follow and underwriting we do, it's sort of like, okay, this is where we're currently at. These are the price reductions right now. How much do we need to stress tests into it to make sure if it does got get worse that we 
we didn't buy in the middle of not being able to, yeah. r- to write it down, I guess. Um, not looking for the best deal. And I don't know, I was listening to someone today that's pretty experienced. It's sort of like they'd rather buy a little late than a little early. So there might that's be that mentali- yeah. mentality as well. But this, this next rest of this year is going to be interesting for sure. I think, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot, a lot more activity here pretty soon. I don't know, are you familiar with Ken McElroy? Yeah. Cool. I've like listened to a lot of his podcasts, and uh, regardless of where I've heard him, I've heard him say, as long as it cash flows, and if it's cash flowing now with this interest rate environment that we're in, I mean, other than you know your ingoing cap and exit caps, obviously that's that's where you're going to try to be as conservative as you can. But as long as it cash flows right now at the interest rate that you're going in at, my question is always like, why wouldn't you buy it if it makes sense today? In five, I think they're concerned about stagflation possibly which is where your expenses yeah. start going up, but rents may move down a little bit because people are getting squeezed. Yeah. And then that's where your DSCR and other things come into play. Right. So I think you know, a buffer. So I'm, I've been underwriting, assuming there could be a slight rent reduction in year one or two and make sure that it could weather that. So Yeah, well, yeah. That, that's true for sure. Um, I guess you just have to have a deal that cash flows better than what you'd want it to or maybe last year that you were looking for. Or uh, something yeah, that, think, yeah. yeah, I was looking at one yesterday. The guy's owned it for 15 something years. I think he built 15 or 20 years. He, he built it originally. He's yeah. way under on rents, which is pretty common for someone that just owns it forever and doesn't really keep the, I think it was like right. four, four or $500 a unit under. So it's sort of like, okay, you could buy that. You could fix your, you know, you could, you could cash flow, get a lot of cash flow of that pretty easy without almost any improvements Mm -hmm. so something like that i think we would look at more seriously is that seems super safe right now as far as it it has down downside protection so for sure cool man well it's super cool meeting you and be able to talk to your stories super incredible i i a lot of times don't go into the backstories of people because they're all kind of the same and yours (laughs) yours definitely isn't and i wish i had the, the the forethought and the drive I, you know, when I was in my twenties, I started my own company and, you know, I thought I was on the leading edge and then meet someone like you guys that are doing what I'm doing in my forties. You guys are starting it when you're 20. So that's going to be incredible to see where you go. If people want to find out more about your guys' company, Donna's investment group, I know you have a ton of social media stuff. Um, it's making me look bad. So I got, I got to give out my social media to, to what, what you guys are able to accomplish. What, where, where can they find you guys? Yeah. Uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, we, my brother created a uh, it's um, like a passive investor checklist. So if you're looking to vet a passive investment opportunity, uh, feel free to use it. It's located at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash checklist. And then we're on social media everywhere at Donis Brothers. You can visit our YouTube channel at Donis Brothers as well. And our podcast is The Real Estate Monopoly. Cool. Awesome. I appreciate having you on. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll see each other soon.